guys. Welcome back to the Flow Podcast, episode number five. With Emily. And Megan. <laughs> um, so this week we're going to be talking about the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, I feel like it's like kind of a hot topic right now. Lots of people are talking about it. Um, yeah. With the new documentary out and the ghost adventures thing. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Cecil Hotel has always kind of had, like, just, like, so much coverage on it. Yeah. Like, everyone's talked about it. Yeah. On so many levels, you know, the Alita Lamb thing. Um, But, yeah, with it kind of becoming, like, a more of a hot topic with the documentaries coming out on Ghost Adventures. Yeah. I think it would just be kind of interesting to talk about it again. Like, dive into the history of it. A different way, you yeah. know, not so much focused on Elisa right. and that itself, but, like, the hotel itself, you right. know? Right, yeah, because, I mean, I feel like before Elisa was a big thing, but I feel like it became a huge thing because of that case, but, like, it, there was the whole American Horror Story was based on it, mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of crazy history about it. Yeah. That's really interesting to look at. So, yeah, that's what we're gonna do okay. right now. <laughs> So it seems like... So should like, I just, like, read this and then we can just kind of, like, make comments as we go down the list or something? I guess. I mean, I guess we should talk about the first thing is that they're trying to... It seems like they're trying to rebrand it now fully to stay on Maine instead of the Cecil. Well, because in the documentary, it they said basically they were rebranding as stay on main but it was also still the cecil hotel like there was two different entrances two different sides to the hotel but now it's kind of seeming like they're just trying to completely rebrand to be stay on main right because it says it was formerly known as the cecil although no one's gonna call it stay on main (laughs) no literally no one i don't know what they expect from that unless you're completely (laughs) oblivious right you know yeah that's true no idea but but I feel like most it's people at this point, yeah, to, like, not know about it, you know. Yeah, it's got quite the reputation. Anyways, so should we talk about when it started? It opened on December twentieth of nineteen twenty four, and it's got nineteen floors and has seven hundred guest rooms. It's fucking oh, fucking huge, basically. It's huge, <laughs> and you know what? I guess this could be a good comment down in the line, but. It's one of those hotels that doesn't have a level 13 in it. Oh, right. Yeah, I do remember them saying that. But also, I find that... It is kind of interesting. Well, interesting, but also, I mean, kind of makes sense and also doesn't. Like, it's not named 13, but it's also still a 13th floor. Mm -hmm. So, floor 14 is floor 13, you know? Right, exactly. And in Ghost Adventures, when they were covering it, and just, like, in general, the 14th floor seems to have a lot of also dark energy to it. Yeah, Because it's technically the 13th floor. Right. Which I thought was kind of, like... I always... I I mean, like, I get why they don't have a a 13th floor on hotels sometimes. I've always found it weird, because, like, I... It's still the 13th floor. It's like, still the 13th you can't, floor. You can't just magically take a floor out, like... Yeah, or you're gonna, like, leave a whole floor section empty. empty. That's creepy. that's creepy shit, <laughs> that's too. Worse. That's worse. <laughs> that is worse. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's got 19 floors, 700 guest rooms. Um, in 2017 is when it started being renovated and redeveloped into a mix of hotel rooms and residential units because it was basically it had basically turned into a residential because it was really cheap so people would pay like live there if they couldn't afford to live anywhere else um or just as a place to be for like if you needed a cheap place to stay overnight um that's what it was for i guess but this doesn't make sense because elisa's case and story kind of happened oh, that in 2013, so they were already rebranding before that because yeah. she went to the hotel when it was Stay, Stay on, on Main, which when is, it was both. When it was both. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. This no. is Wikipedia, by the way, which is the most trusted <laughs> lo- place for information ever. <laughs> um. So yeah, maybe that just means more recently when they are redeveloping it once again. Got it. It could be. Yeah. And maybe now they're because trying to redevelop down. it as Stay on Main. It closed in 2017. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Never mind, it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> they had already tried to rebrand it as 
a mix of a hotel stay. It was like a hostel and a residential, basically. Yeah. So. When it was first developed, it cost $1.5 million to complete. So in 1924, it cost a million and a half dollars. Oh, dang. That's a lot of money back then. So it was like a fancy kind of bougie, like... Yeah. It was the place to be, you know, back yeah. then. So uh, the three hoteliers, whatever word that is, invested about $2.5 in the enterprise with the knowledge that... Se- Several similar hotels had been established elsewhere downtown, but within five years of opening, the United States sank into a Great Depression. Although the hotel flourished as a fashionable destination throughout the 1940s, the decades beyond saw the hotel decline as a nearby area known as Skid Row became increasingly populated with transients. transients. As many as 10,000 homeless people have lived within a four-mile radius. Um, so basically, so it was built and then the Great Depression happened, like, yeah. pretty much Five soon after. And there were already hotels like that in the area, but I feel like it was trying to be, it was trying to be not, like, a hotel, it was supposed to be, like, a place to stay for, like, people that worked there, right? Yeah, should I skip down to the Skid Row part now? Or what should we, because I took notes on Skid Row. Oh, maybe. Yeah, we should talk about that, because I feel like it's kind of a big part of it. Yeah. Um, cause Skid Row is literally such a small section, but... Four miles. Yeah, but... But I feel like... There's... It's got it... It's kind of one of the biggest reasons why the hotel is yeah. the way it is. Yeah, you know? oh yeah. I'm just, it's so densely populated for being such a small area, is what I mean. Like, there's so much going down, and Miss Cecil is right in the middle of it. Okay. And I'm kind of curious when Skid Row technically became... Like, what it is. I think I tried to look that up. I'm sure sometime after the Great Depression. Okay, history of downtown Los Angeles' Skid Row. The Skid Row uh, of Los Angeles is a portion of the area in downtown uh, L.A. east of the financial district and the historic downtown center, particularly overlaying the core Mm -hmm. as part of the central city east area a 50 block sector of downtown bounded by main street west third street north alameda street east and seventh street south although skid rose boundaries are actually somewhat fluid and it's right in the industrial district of la so like yeah the area in which skid row is located was agri was agricultural unit in the railroad's first entered Los Angeles in the 1870s. So, it was first located in the agricultural railroads area. and They were, like, growing things, basically? Like, it was farm area, kind of? Yeah. That makes it sound like. I think so. Yeah. Um, And and they built railroads in there. The railroads. The railroads paralleled the Los Angeles River and main rail yard and station where were near current 6th Street, Whittier Boulevard River crossing. After the arrival of the railroads, the area began to industrialize with an emphasis on agriculture. So it was kind of a train railroad area, mm-hmm. uh, like industrially, and then um, so started they, to begin kind of a more agricultural. Got it. So, But it started as agriculture, and then the train came through, and that kind of made it a little bit more industrial. Like, they started to become an industrial version of agriculture, which probably means they were they were building factories and different things. And begins the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, an emphasis on agriculture, which is seasonal in nature and therefore includes influxes of short-term workers, right. especially at planting and harvesting seasons. The railroads themselves added to the transient nature of downtown as train crews laid over between assignments. As a result, many small hotels were developed in the 1880s and 1930s era to serve this work population. So basically a lot of short-term workers living. So they needed a place to stay and be for short-term, and so that's why all of these kind of hotels and Mm -hmm. low-income... Housing, Housing, basically. stuff kind of yeah. came about um, to support all of those workers. 
Since many of the migrant workers were single and male, the area also saw a proliferation. Is yeah, proliferation that's right. I was just reading the next. Of bars, <laughs> whorehouses, and other houses of ill repute. That was in quotes. <laughs> Today, there is a large mission penance presence. Okay large mission presence in Skid Row, which can trace its roots to that period. When Temperament and other groups established such facilities as havens to counteract the ill effects of and provide a healthy alternative to the bars and potentially self-destructive pursuits. Interesting. I didn't realize that that's why that was started, why there was such a large mission presence there. That makes sense, though. The area's proximity to the railroad station also made it to the point of first arrival for all types of migrants, including those who migrated for economic reasons from elsewhere to the United S- in the United States during and after each major recession and or depression. In particular, during the Great Depression of the 1930s, many displaced farmers and workers from the Midwest and South came to Los Angeles often having abandoned their families and or becoming alcoholics. The hobos and bums who rode the rails were homeless of their day and social social service organizations began to evolve into service centers for such populations. Oh, so this is when, like, all of, yeah, like, social services kind of started. And when, I guess, that was kind of the first, like, homeless people. I didn't really realize that. Like, in L- I guess in L.A. I mean, I'm sure it was something else, you know, before that, but it seems like this was the start of, like, people that chose to, like, leave and just live on the road, basically. I guess the start of the modern-day transient, almost. Um, during the Second World War and the Vietnam conflict, numerous military personnel and transient, transient young men passed through Los Angeles, and their missions missions served as havens for them during their journeys. This previous exposure to Skid Row attracted numerous returning drug and alcohol-addicted and emotionally scarred Vietnam veterans to come back to settle in Los Angeles. The veterans found Skid Row accommodating because of, one, the presence of service facilities and providers, and two, the rejection they faced in other communities. It was after Vietnam era that the demographics of the area changed from predominantly elderly, white, and alcohol-dependent to predominantly young, non-white, and drug-dependent. So basically, it felt like a safe place for them to go to get the help they needed, but also they could get the drugs they wanted, too. So that's why, that's what, like, drew so many people to start, um... Coming to that area. Yeah, yeah. And trying to live there, which is what, those are the people that populated all those hotels. And still do. I mean, different people, but they're still fully... It's a much larger and wider variety now... Yeah. ...than what it was. Right. Um, in... The 1960s, noting that many of the area's small hotels, because of their age and lack of upkeep, did not meet the fire and safety codes, cited many of the small hotel owners. So many of the hotels were cited because of, yeah, that sentence did not make sense. The code conformance orders allowed leeway for owners to either repair or demolish the structures. As a result of hotel owners facing costly repairs and limited income for the hotel's low rents, this leeway had the unintended consequence of numerous demolitions. In total, the loss of 50% of housing stock from approximately 15,000 units in the early 1960s Whoa. to 7,500 units in the early 70s contributed to the displacement of a significant number of extremely low-income, substance-dependent, and or mentally unstable persons who had settled in Central City East. So there's literally the entire homeless population so of they got kicked Skid Row out. starting right there. That's how it became so many. So what happened was <laughs> lots of people started coming into the area because yeah. of the trains and the agriculture, and they needed a place to stay. And then... They shut down all those places because they weren't up to code. 
basically. Well, and the whole Vietnam thing. Oh, yeah. And a bunch of sh- soldiers, soldiers came. So they had a fuck ton of people staying in the area, mm. attracted to the place because they had um, access to things. Mm-hmm. and Drugs, alcohol, and drugs, services, basically. Alcohol and help. Yeah. And a place to live. Yeah. And then when all the hotels and stuff couldn't meet, you know, safety regulations and codes and stuff, they basically got kicked out, closed their facilities, and then right. those people were left on the streets, right. basically. Um, this is a slightly different article that I started copying mid-paragraph. <laughs> so, mission, probably the mission, again. Yeah, Maybe I left out district. the T again. The mission developed in parallel to Skid Row and can trace its origins to the late 19th century when the area of East Tony Bunker Hill became the domain of brothels and saloons. By 1876, Los Angeles was the final stop on the Transcontinental Railroad leading to an early oh, population okay. boom. Fueled. So it was the final stop on the railroad. That's why so many people also got off there. Yeah. Fueled by land speculation. Then, as now, the city attracted immigrants and the $10 per night hotels were chosen by newcomers based upon which to build their fortunes. The Union Rescue Missions website captures the scope of the problem. Many people who came to America view it as a place where they can start over with nothing and frequently end up with little to no resources. Uh huh. Despite this long, ugly heritage, Los Angeles does not lay claim to coming to terms. Coining the term. Coining the term. Interesting. Skid Row, that doubles an honor, goes to Seattle, where communities of the lard loggers sprouted up uh, along the pathways or skid roads on which the Washington timber would be dragged to port. Huh, interesting. So then how did it end up being given to L.A., the name Skid Row, if it was a term for... Seattle timber roads that doesn't make a whole lot of sense I mean I guess just because it's like a long stretch of road with like a bunch of people living on it but it's just interesting I didn't know that that's where the name came from I didn't know where it came from um oh when the great depression hit demand for construction fell and the out-of-work loggers soon shared their neighborhood's nickname with the impoverished areas across the country a similar population influx has greeted Skid Row with every downturn since. In the late 60s, among the low-cost rental housing in area in the area was halved right before oil, the oil crisis in 1971. In the late 80s, the explosion of crack cocaine hit just in time for the recession of the early 90s and the privatization of state mental hospitals, which was overseen by then government governor governor ronald reagan (laughs) government ronald reagan (laughs) he was the government the whole government uh the burst of housing bubble of the mid-2000s happened to concede with a hideous practice among several private hospitals found depositing impoverished mentally ill patients on the doorstep of the union rescue mission in 2005 one especially determined hospitals spent five years busing nearly 500 patients to Skid Row from Las Vegas. Whoa, that's crazy. Wow. So I wonder if, like, that mission was really the only one for, like, a long stretch of... It seems like it. Yeah, space, There probably just was literally not that many resources for that kind of thing. Right. And... People either didn't know what to do or didn't want to deal with it, and we're just yeah. kind of like, here, yeah, go there. They're like, that's low that's cost. The best there's place low cost for you. housing. Like you're gonna, you're yeah. gonna do really good there. There's, there's low cost housing. There's a mission. It'll be great. You're not gonna get addicted to drugs or no, alcohol. Not at all. That's crazy. So, kind of what I think is that I mean, because I tried to find like history of what the land was like before mm-hmm. you know what was there before the cecil but there's like not that much information and i'm like i don't know if necessarily the land itself was haunted but i do feel like just that kind of era you know the great depression yeah. with 
like all the homelessness, the saloons, the bars, like everything, all of that just draws in negative energy with low vibrational beings. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it just draws and it stays, you know? Yeah. I feel like you find like a lot of like haunted places that have that kind of history because of that era, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I feel like that was, I mean, it also like the wars lended to it and I don't know, just the fact that there were a lot of people like seeking employment in different areas of the world, I guess, or like the country um, and it's a lot of males, you know, at that time. So I feel like that's kind of what led to it. They're like, we're going to put all these brothels and saloons and whorehouses. Because that's what the working man needs, mm. you know, when he's working so hard. It's crazy. I don't know. Our whole, the whole thing that our, like, country is built on is kind of crazy. But Lies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gets into a different topic. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, I just feel like. And that era of. It was just a hot. I was gonna say hot house, but that's just a hotbed of. Like it's basically just a setup for disaster, is what it was. Mm-hmm. It's like here's all this super low income housing. Anybody can afford to stay there. We have all these things that are going to, like, get you hooked on being here. And then they're also like, yeah, we'll help you. And also nowhere else for them to go. Yeah. Because there are no other resources, you know? Yeah. And they just get shoved there. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of where a lot of the bad energy comes from. Mm-hmm. Also the fact that these people just get shoved someplace, like... Imagine being that person and just feeling like, yeah, we don't want to deal with you, so just go over here, they'll deal with you. Like, all these people, yeah. It's just, like, not a good way to be treated. It's, like, a sad life. So that's probably why the energy is so heavy there. Um, so that's that. So when did the first person die at the Cecil? Debatable. Okay. So, according to Wikipedia, there have been at least, and they say, 16 deaths. Right. Since it's been opened. Right. The first documented one being in 1927, four, five, six, seven. So, three years after it opened, according Whoa. to Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. That was fast. Um, and that was like a suicide, right? Yeah, so the first listed death was a suicide on January 2nd, 1922. On the evening, the cook shot himself in the head while inside his cook. His last name is Cook. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, some guy shot himself in the head while inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. Although the Times reported that he was rushed to the receiving hospital with a slim chance of survival, death records reveal that he died that same evening. So yeah, apparently the first death was three years after it opened, according to Wikipedia. You know what's so sad? This is like a side note, but something that I thought about. I actually, I heard it from Selena, but like, spooky boo. But, like, it makes a lot of sense. Like, the reason that hotels are such a hotbed for, like, spirits and energy like that is because that's where people go to kill themselves, basically. So that it's not a family member or someone, someone finding them. Find them. Mm-hmm. It's some random stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just really sad. And I feel like that's probably when that kind of thing became, like, started. I More just, suicides yeah. started happening because of the times changing and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I think it's, as far as the death count goes, it's super sketchy. I feel like it's different everywhere I've looked. Um, It mainly says 16 to 18 deaths, but according to the Cecil Hotel manager in the Netflix documentary, she said that there have been over 80 deaths in the 10 years that she had been working there. 
So, like, how does that line up? Which I which makes more sense to me because there's, like, 700 rooms there, right? Literally. Like, so, and if there's that much shady stuff going on... There has to be more than just 16. And that's 16 spanning its entire from the, day, the time it opened till when it closed. Almost 100 years at this point. Right. Crazy. That is literally crazy. So that's, yeah, that's really weird. The fact that that's such a huge difference. Like 80 and 10 years versus 16 and almost 100. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, either uh, the manager or whatever was, like, exaggerating quite a bit. Or somehow a bunch of these are going... Unlisted. Unrecorded, yeah. And maybe it's because some of them weren't murders or suicides or whatever, but, like, probably a lot of overdoses and just, I mean, I'm sure some natural deaths, too, but I don't know. It just seems weird that there's not some other kind of record of them, even if it's just, like, articles that say, like, a lot of forking people died at that hotel. Like, it's just weird that there's no other... Yeah. Resource for that and besides 16 up, to 18. It's always the big famous people right. or like the few deaths yeah. that they do talk about and mention, which is the ones that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> because you can't really find because any. There's no of more them. evidence um, about the other ones. Excuse me. One of the most annoying ones, I think, that I see people mention is Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia. They always throw her name in there when they're talking about the Cecil Hotel. Um, because she was found in a park near the hotel. She was not staying there. Right. She was seen there, apparently, allegedly, mm. having a drink, like, mm. three days before her death. But she wasn't actually... A guest at the hotel. So I'm like, why right. are you throwing her name in there? Well, I guess because I think the theory is that potentially her killer was staying there. That's true. And that's why it was so close to the hotel that she was dumped. But I don't know. I mean, it's still a little bit of a reach. Yeah. Compared to the rest of them. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's something that we could look into more but also that's probably been overdone yeah i mean I'm like there's not much information i don't know if any more information is gonna yeah. ever be solved or yeah. not about that you know i also believe it's probably solved and like yeah i'm sure at this point with the kind of technology they have now i feel like it has to be um okay dorothy jean purcell okay <laughs> oh is this the woman with the this baby is, this is the, the baby sad one, one. Um, when was this? Oh, 1944, and she was 19 years old and pregnant. Okay. Yeah. So Dorothy Jean was 19 years old, and she was, uh, she checked into the hotel with her 38-year-old boyfriend and unexpectedly gave birth to a baby boy in the toilet of her room. Um. Do we trigger warning this? This is, like, pretty graphic. So, yeah, she gave birth to her baby in the toilet of her room apparently she didn't know she was pregnant which is really weird to me like how do you not know you're pregnant there's a whole show about that i know (laughs) it's also really weird to me you would think at some point you would kind of get a feeling especially like to the point where you're actually giving birth how do you not know until like the literal second you're about to do it i don't know that's just kind of weird to me but anyways she didn't know she had the baby and she had thought that the baby was dead so she threw her newborn kid out of the window of the high-rise hotel. Um, an autopsy revealed he had an air... He had air in his lungs. ...at the time of his death, and therefore not been dead prior to landing on a nearby building. The young woman went on to be found guilty of murder by reason of insanity after numerous criminal psychiatrists testified that she was mentally confused. Tragically, the Cecil Hotel has been the location of several suicides over the year. Okay, yeah. That's crazy, though. I can't believe that happened. I mean, clearly, I, I absolutely believe that she had to have been insane. Like, if she really didn't know she was pregnant, 
and gave birth and was just like, had no idea what to do and thought it was dead. I mean, but did she really think he was dead though? I guess or we'll did never she know. just not want her husband to, or to her find out to know? Yeah, because doesn't it say that she he never found out? Or I mean, well, I'm sure eventually him, he did. She didn't yeah. tell him about it until probably then the trial, was a trial or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that happened. Um, Pigeon Goldie it's apparently still haunts the hotel to this date. Retired telephone operator Pigeon Goldie was a recognizable face around the hotel as she protected and fed the local pigeons at nearby Pushing Square. Pershing? Pershing. Pershing Square. In 1964, she was found dead in her room at the hotel. She had been assaulted, stabbed, and strangled. In the ransacked room, police found her Los Angeles Dodgers cap and a paper bag full of birdseed. So sad. One suspect was arrested, a 20-year-old Jacques B. Jacques? Not even going to say your last name. Who was walking through Pershing Square wearing bloodstained clothes. He was charged for the murder, but later his name was cleared. This was the last widely reported death at the hotel until the body of Elise Lam was rediscovered in 2013. <laughs> I didn't read that part. What? Um, one of the strangest deaths at the CISO Hotel was the 65-year-old George Gianni. In 1962, 27-year-old Pauline Otten was arguing with her estranged husband in a room on the ninth floor of the hotel. After Otten's husband left, she wrote a suicide note and jumped from the window to the pavement below. Unluckily, Gianni was walking directly below, and Otten landed on him! That I was the one. I didn't know they were, like... I thought it was just some random pedestrian. How did she literally land on her husband? No, it wasn't her husband. Yeah? No. Yeah. No. Was that of 65-year-old George Gianni? Yeah. Was arguing with her husband, but that's that doesn't mean he was her husband. He was arguing... She was arguing with her husband on the ninth floor. And after her husband left... Okay, so he was just staying in the hotel. I think so. I don't think it was her husband or... Because it probably would have been Auden would have been his last name. Okay. That's my guess. I guess. That makes sense. I mean, it could have been. But that is... Yeah. Damn. I mean, it's still crazy that she landed on a person. That's so unfortunate, too. Crazy. So a suicide turned into an accidental death. Yeah. 1931, a guest, W.K. Norton, 46, was found dead in his room after eating poison capsules, although this was the earliest case of suicide at the Cecil. Pause. No, it's not. 1927. Right? We just talked about that. See? It does not line up. No. They are so sketchy with all of their information and how many people have died and when. Because on this article that I have printed here, they're saying the earliest suicide was 1931. When on the Wikipedia, their first reported death was suicide in 1927. Some of these deaths are crazy. Fall from building, fall from building, fell from building. Anyways, there's more deaths. Um, I think we should talk about Richard Ramirez and Jack Ungerwire. Yeah, we should. So let's talk about Richard Ramirez first, because he stayed there first before Jack did. And he's, like, probably one of the most infamous people to have stayed there. Yeah, the most infamous, and probably one with the most dark energy attached to him. Aside from Skid Row bringing in its own kind of dark energy and stuff, I feel like this dude definitely unleashed some... Yeah, um, if he was really doing the rituals they say he was, I'm sure... And just himself being there. So, this is some of his Wikipedia stuff. Ramirez used a wide variety of weapons, including handguns, knives, machete, a tie iron, and a hammer, as well as satanic imagery. Ramirez never expressed any remorse for his crimes. The judge who upheld Ramirez's 19 death sentences remarked that his deeds exhibited Cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. Ramirez was convicted in 1989 of 13 counts of murder, 
five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He died of complications from B-cell lymphoma while awaiting execution on California's when death row. When did he row. die? Huh? When did he die? He was still alive when Elisa... Yeah, he died on 20, June 7th, 2013. 20. When did Elisa die? Why do I feel like we're about to like unlock some Somewhere soon near then, I think. April. Wait, no. February 19th. February 13th or something. February 1st. Okay. February... So he wasn't... Yeah, he was. He lived until June of that year. Oh. February, so he March, lived for April, May, June. Six more months. Five more months. Four more months. February, March, April, April May, May, June. June. Five. Whatever. A few months. Is it four it's or five? five? It's five. It's five. <laughs> I felt like we're <laughs> Um. So yeah. A little bit about his back history. As a twelve-year-old, Rich Richard or Richie, as he was known to his family, was strongly influenced by his older cousin Miguel, or Mike, a decorated Green Beret combat beret, combat veteran who off boasted of his gruesome exploits and abuses during the Vietnam War. Uh, he shared Polaroid photos of oh, his man. victims, including the Vietnamese <gasps> woman he had raped. I literally had no idea about this. Yeah. In some of the photos, Mike posed with the severed head of a woman he had abused. Oh my god. So as a 12-year-old, his cousin is showing him and telling him all about his, you know, shit. And so, uh, yeah. And he started smoking weed when he was 10 years old. Yeah, he started smoking when Way he was 10. Way before his brain was even close to being formed. Yeah. And bonded with Mike, his cousin, over joints and gory war stories. Mike taught his young cousin some of his military skills, such as killing with stealth. Oh my god. Around this time, Ramirez began to seek escape from his father's violent temper by sleeping in a local cemetery. Richard was present on May 4th, 1973, when his cousin Mike fatally shot his wife, Jessie, in the face oh, with a thirty-eight caliber, caliber revolver during a domestic argument. After the shooting, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Later that year, he moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, an obsessive peeping mm. Tom. Oh, I remember this. I actually do remember this. And didn't he like do something to him or something uh ruth or just brought him along with uh, him obsessive peeping tom who took richie along on his nocturnal exploits ramirez also began using lsd and cultivated an interest in satanism mike was found not guilty of his of jesse's murder by reason of his sanity and was released in 77 after four years of incarceration at the texas state mental hospital his influence over Ramirez continued. That adolescent Ramirez began to meld his burg- burg- his sexual fantasies with violence, including forced bondage and rape. While still in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he used his passkey to rob sleeping patrons. His employment ended abruptly after Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband returned to find them. Although the husband beat Ramirez senseless at the scene, criminal charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of state declined to return to testify him. Ramirez dropped out of Jefferson High School in the ninth grade. At the age of 22, he moved to California, where he settled permanently. And this is kind of about his crimes a little bit. Not that... None of that was already crimes, but... <laughs> no, I do remember the part, though, where he witnessed his uh, cousin shooting his wife. I remember that. I think I watched some documentary about him. Um, but could you imagine? Like, I mean, let alone all of the decapitated photos, but, like, literally witnessing somebody shoot their wife in the face. Yeah, okay, so his crimes. Richard Ramirez's crimes. On April 10th, 1984, Ramirez murdered... A nine-year-old Chinese-American, May, mm-hmm. May Leung, 
in the basement of the hotel where he was living in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. <laughs> there was a lot of them. I just kind of picked well, the quote-unquote highlights. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's interesting, though, because he was living in the Tenderloin in a hotel. And then, and then moved flash to... forward to Skid Row on yeah. Cecil Hotel. Yeah. Mm. So... Yeah. Some traumatic, he, he did some traumatic stuff, basically, to her. <laughs> and, you, should I not say it? No, go ahead. Okay. I mean, <laughs> we're going to have to this bleep entire, it out for YouTube, though. This entire episode is trigger warning. Yeah. Um, he did some bad stuff and beat her before stabbing her to death and hanging her body from a pipe. This is Ramirez's first known killing was was not identified as being connected to the subsequent crime spree until 2009 when Ramirez's Whoa. DNA was matched to a sample obtained at this crime scene. In 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through DNA sample retrieved from the scene who is believed to have been present at Leong's murder. Authorities have not publicly identified the suspect suspect described as being a juvenile male at the time and have not brought charges back due to lack of evidence so there's there's potentially someone else there and potentially he was treating whoever this um adolescent male was as like his cousins were to him like he was like they taught me so i'm training him yeah that's kind of crazy in 1985 ramirez uh, drove car, a stolen car, to Monrovia and stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, age 83, and her disabled sister Florence Nettie Lang, age 81. Finding a hammer in the kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound Lang in her bedroom and then bound and bludgeoned her before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. After raping Lang, he used Belle's lipstick to draw the satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh, as well as on the walls of both bedrooms. The women were found two days later alive but comatose. 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 Dang. Belle later died of her injuries the next day. Uh, he drove the same car to Burbank and sneaked into the home of Carol Kyle, age 42. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, and ransacked the house. He released Kylie. Kyle. <laughs> Kyle. Dyslexic. <laughs> God damn. Um, he released Kyle to direct Kyle. <laughs> you said it right that time. You said Kyle. Isn't it Kylie? It's Kyle. <laughs> Is it Kyle? It's Kyle. <laughs> okay. <coughs> he released Kyle to direct him to where... The family's valuables were, then he raped her repeatedly. Maybe it is Kylie. But it That's seems what I'm like saying. It says Kyle. Kylie. It also Kylie. says, um, son. Said he. At gunpoint, he bound. 11 year old son with handcuffs. So it's Yeah. Kyle. And then it says, oh, raped the mom. Got it. Uh, Ramirez also repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again with handcuffs. So he let them live, both of them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, a psychiatrist, Michael H. Stone, describes Ramirez as a, as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. He says that Ramirez schizoid mm-hmm. personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims and his untreatability. Untreat- Stone also stated that Ramirez was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions before he was six years old and as a result later developed temporal lobe epilepsy aggressivity mm-hmm. and hypersexuality. So he had brain damage. Yeah. I wonder how he was knocked unconscious six times before... He was six. Before he was six. Wait. Oh, multiple occasions before he was six. I'm sure he was abused. So he had an effed up childhood. Yeah. 
Not that that excuses anything. No. I mean, we already know he had an effed up childhood, but like he had a really effed up childhood. Yeah. If he was knocked unconscious many times before he was six, enough times to I've cause that much brain had, damage. Like, a weird fascination with the darker things in life. Yeah. A lot of tragedy and murders and stuff like that. And just because I'm so curious and fascinated as to, like, why. Mm-hmm. And, like, why they are the way that they are, mm-hmm. you know? Because lots of people have had fucked up childhoods. That don't go and, like, murder people. people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways. So that that was just one of the serial killers. Oh, so that that's the guy that, um... He, I mean, he did Satan worshiping there. Basically, right. he did rituals and probably invited lots of, lots of dark, dark energy. Entities, yeah. And he was seen throwing out his bloody clothes in the back dumpster oh, right. in the alleyway there, and mm-hmm. he would just waltz through, just dripped in blood. You mm-hmm. know. After a long night of killing, you know, he goes to the Cecil to unwind or whatever. I don't yeah. know. And I mean, I feel like. The manager, the more recent manager in the documentary was like, we don't really question people when they walk through because so much crazy shit happens around here. So we probably felt safe there to just, like, not have to worry about being caught or whatever. Which is kind of scary. because there's so much bad things happening here that why are they going to take the time to, like, call him out? Right, right. So, yeah. And then the other murderer, I mean, there's multiple murderers, but the other infamous one is Mr. Jack. The other known serial killer, too, I feel like. We don't know if anybody else was, like, a serial killer that stayed there. Jack Unterweger. Hope I'm saying that right. Seems pretty right. He was born in 1950 to Teresa Unterweger, a Vietnamese Barmaid. A Viennese. Viennese. Barmaid and waitress. And Jack Becker, an American soldier whom she met in Tristi, Italy. Some sources describe his mother as a sex worker. Unterweger's mother was jailed for fraud while pregnant, but was released and traveled to Graz, where she was, where he was born. After his mother was arrested again in 1953, Unterweger was sent to Carth. Corinthia? Corinthia to live with his grandfather, who was known as a rough fellow, <laughs> who regularly used his grandson to help him steal farm animals. Unterweger was in and out of prison for much of his youth. He worked as a waiter, but in 1966 and 74, he was convicted 16 times, mostly for theft-related offenses, but also for pimping and sexual assault on a sex worker. He spent most of those eight years in jail. And while in jail, he had written a book and released it, and then it got, like, good press or something. And so then when he was... He had left, he he got out because of his book or whatever. He, like, got well-known. Oh. And in 91, he was hired by an Austin... Austri- oh, fucking A. Austrian magazine to write about crime in Los Angeles and the difference between U.S. and European... Attitudes to prostitution. Unterweger met local police, even going as far as to participate in ride-along of the city's red-light districts. During Unterweger's time in Los Angeles, three sex workers, Shannon X. Lee, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth, were beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, and strangled with their own bras. Sexually assaulted with tree branches? Oh my god. That sounds terrible. I mean, sexually assaulted, period, is terrible, but, like, tree branches. oh, my God. In Austria, Unterweger was suggested as a suspect for the sex worker murders. In absence of other suspects, police took a serious look at Unterweger and kept him under surveillance until he went to the United States obscenity. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. As a reporter. So he was, like, acting as a reporter. Observing nothing to connect him with the murders. Wait, hold on, pause, though, go back, because I'm really curious what took place, because it says he was basically in jail between the time of 1966 to 1974, which starts when he was 16, by the way. Um, what happened between 1974 and 1994, or 91, whenever he started that? 
when he was hired by the Austrian magazine. In 74, Entweger murdered 18-year-old German citizen Margaret Schaffer by strangling with her own bra, and in 76, What's he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. While imprisoned, he wrote oh, short so stories. Oh, so in that period of time, so after 1974, he was imprisoned, and that's when he wrote the book. Yeah. And then in 1985, there was a campaign to pardon him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, there was a campaign to pardon and release Unterweger from prison. Began. Austrian President Rudolf Christing says something refused. <laughs> <laughs> words are hard for me. Uh, that's refused. especially hard. The petition, when presented to him, citing the court mandated minimum of 15 years in prison. Writers, artists, journalists, politicians... Agitated. agitated for a pardon, including the author of 2004 Nobel Prize winner, blah, blah, blah. And, okay, so he was released on May 23rd of 1990 after re- the required hmm. minimum 15 of Got his it. life term. Got it. Upon release, his autobiography was taught in schools and his stories for children. Oh, my gosh were performed on Austrian radio. Stories for children? I gotta look that up. Underwager himself hosted television programs which discussed criminal rehabilitation, and he worked as a reporter for the public broadcaster ORF, where he reported on stories concerning the very murders for which he later was found guilty. That's crazy. Later murders. Law enforcement later found that Untwerger killed a young woman named Blanca Bokova in Czechoslovakia and more in Austria in 1990. Oh my gosh, these names. I really can't with these names. I'm not going to say any you of them. I'm literally to. not going to say these names. They're very difficult to pronounce. Yeah. So that's what happened with that guy. And so he also stayed at the Cecil. And murdered people. And murdered people. And probably a lot of people are saying that he stayed there because he was so inspired by Richard Ramirez and was probably trying to study what he was right. doing. Or, he like, a, feel his energy He or wrote something. a book and was talking about criminal rehabilitation on the murders that he freaking committed. That's crazy. That's literally crazy. And the fact that so many people wanted him to get out of prison. They're like, no, you got to let him out. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of that. So, I don't know. Basically, there's just got to be so much spirit activity and just dark energy. Even if it's not spirits, you can feel dark energy. And I believe that it has the power to, like, manipulate people, you know? And I feel like this is the part where we could kind of talk about Elisa Lamb a little bit. Because I feel like... They didn't even, and I mean, why would they, you know, go into the idea that, yeah, something paranormal could have led to her death? Because considering the state she was in, you know, she was probably easily influenced. And I mean, if depending on what types of entities were there and like considering the things that Richard Ramirez could have released and just all of the all of the previous energies that are there. I don't think it's, like, a crazy concept to think that she was, like, coerced by something not necessarily otherworldly, but kind of, like, a spirit or some kind of energy was, like, pushing her. Because, you know, I don't necessarily know if I believe in the devil. Um, I believe that there's dark and light, but I don't believe things are evil unless you are making them evil. And so I do believe that Richard Ramirez conjured up a lot of evil whether or not it was like he was actually trying to conjure a demon you know i'm sure he was definitely trying to put out some energies yeah there some kind of evil energy yeah yeah so in the ghost adventures episode they brought his artwork which had pentagrams drawn on it and one of these mediums saw not physically there in that moment but like in his mind yeah he could see that there had been a pentagram drawn on one of the water towers up on the roof. It was not the one that she was in, but it was up on the roof. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you also hear a lot of stories just about the roof in general, how, like, there is, like, a lot of energy up there. Yeah. So, I, yeah. 
And lots of stuff happened up there. Like, there was clearly a lot of activity up there. Like, it wasn't just an empty roof. Like, no. Clearly, people had been up there yeah. and were doing graffiti and, like, whatever else. Like, rituals. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, definitely feel like there was, like, a lot of different factors into Elisa's death. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah, they said they're blaming it basically on her being bipolar yeah which is so fucking stupid right like come on guys because even if even if she did have like more struggles beyond that and she went off her meds whatever you're not gonna that's you're not gonna think to like maybe she was paranoid right like that's the theory and she like felt like that was a safe place to hide you're not gonna no you're not gonna jump into it you're not gonna crawl up onto the mm-hmm. roof somehow you're not gonna then crawl up the ladder to get to the things and then you're not gonna climb up another ladder yeah to an open water tank and like no matter what state you're in like that doesn't make sense no like you can't get out yeah you know yeah i don't i don't think someone who was paranoid about anything would try to hide in there she would feel trapped you know i don't know and it's said that she was naked before going in there right and I feel like in the documentary, they kind of made it seem like, oh, she probably took her clothes off because she was freezing, you know, like getting hypothermia. And so in that situation, a lot of people will remove their clothing to try and like, I don't know why, like just out of panic, I guess. Where if and it's like, like weighing you down. Weighing her down, yeah. But it but seems like they were found outside of the tank, though. So that doesn't... The clothes? Yeah. But they were found at the bottom of the tank. Oh, and there was apparently sandy bits in it to make it... Oh, interesting. So, in which case, you would think that it was on the clothes before it had even gotten there. Yeah. You would. Um, so, yeah. I feel like... I mean, her being kind of off of her meds and kind of, like, going through her own brain stuff and right. her own issues. And then... Coming to the Cecil with all of those energies, all of the energies of every kind, and just in Skid Row in general, you Mm -hmm. you kind of come across lots of different kinds of people and a vast majority of mental states. Yeah. So she was probably going through some kind of episode, you know. Yeah. Um, Like, just being there, I've been there, and it makes you, it really makes you think about life and, like, the world and... Just, like, how it's possible that we've allowed this to happen. Because regardless of what their situation is, they're, like, all still people, you know? Like, it's just a really weird feeling being there, basically. Skid Row? Yeah. You go because you've been there. Yeah. I mean, I was a teenager, so I was, like, not quite self-aware or aware enough to, like, fully... Realize. Feel the... I mean, like, I realized, and it was a crazy feeling, but, like, I feel like if I were to be there now, it would be even more intense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, even as, like, a 14, 15-year-old going there and seeing that, like, it impacts you. Like, so if she was struggling already, you, like you said, being there and then being specifically at the Cecil... It was just a bad mix. Yeah. One thing that people talk about when they, t- I mean, the elevator video, when mm-hmm. she's looking out or whatever, and she's kind of doing this, mm-hmm. people always say, it looks like she's talking to somebody. Right. And I'm like, in my opinion, it doesn't really look like she's talking to somebody. Yeah, it I didn't looks think like so either. she's feeling to see if something is really there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't look like a hand gesture of, like, she's tra- talking. Yeah, she's it's not talking. She's, like... Reaching for feeling something. Feeling or yeah. reaching to mm-hmm. decipher on if shit's really there or not, you mm-hmm. know? So, she was definitely going through some kind of episode, and it kind of seemed like she was a more, like, empathetic person, you know, just yeah. kind of felt things on a deeper level. It did. Mm-hmm. So, she is more... Um, susceptible. Susceptible to it. And so I feel like the spirits were kind of effing with her, you know, mm-hmm. in her state mm-hmm. and somehow got up there. But I also do feel like there had to have been another person, another involved. person involved. I kind what of feel she, like it too. I feel like she had to have probably walked in on something. 
yeah you know mm-hmm. up on the roof or before right or was kind of you know somehow chorused up there mm-hmm. or stumbled across something that she wasn't supposed to or kind of intruded on something yeah and then just something bad happened to her mm-hmm. and then they had to dispose of her body somehow yeah mm-hmm. I know that's kind of my theory I know and that was like my theory the entire time watching that thing and I didn't understand how no one else could see that yeah and why they didn't further try to look into that I feel like they kind of shifted out of that realm very quickly very quickly they were like, oh, no. Well, how did she get been... to the roof? Well, yeah. well, then there was this one way that she could have gotten there but and clearly, just went with that. Everybody got up there. So clearly they were lying about the fact that it's locked. Like, there's no way it was locked and there's no way it was alarmed. Like, the if door that many the people. Fire escape. But who's really climbing the fire escape to get up there? That many people that went up there to do rituals and spray paint and drink and smoke. I don't know. It's just all fishy to me. Yeah. I mean, there's two ways to get up there. The so. door or the fire escape. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Also, that we know of. What if there's a secret way? That's true. Portal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Do we have anything else that we want to add or talk about? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to add, I don't think. I feel like that was kind of... So, basically... Um spirits and just general bad energy being there yeah like i feel like things don't just happen you know i feel like people are in a very like compromised uh Mm -hmm. state of mind when they're there period Mm -hmm. but on top of all the previous energy that has been there and the fact that there were so many people driven to suicide there and so many people that fell out of windows i don't know i don't think it's just them yeah being there at a specific time and just like coincidence you know i feel like like lisa they're in a vulnerable place and then with additional spirit Mm -hmm. energy there um not manipulating you i mean sometimes manipulating you but affecting you and like coming into your fucking space i don't Mm -hmm. know I just feel like it's just kind of driven people past the pushing point, basically. Yeah. And just adding to the disaster that surrounds the season. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. Because there's no way to, like, I don't know. There's no way to get away from the fact that there has to be dark energy there. Literally, the history, the area, like... I don't know. And so it's going to be really interesting going forward when they have this big new grand reopening of... Which you know was the reason for the Netflix series. Which is literally the reason why they finally agreed to do the Netflix series propaganda shit. To be like, ah yeah, it's totally changed. It's a brand new place. Come and stay here, but don't bring your cameras. You can't investigate. (laughs) And the fact that it took Ghost Adventures 10 years to get an okay, that's also suspicious. There's just so much suspiciousness surrounding. I feel like they're hiding literally so much. So much is under wraps. The fact that none of the information lines up, like, align, like, across different websites. Right. It's all different. different, Mm -hmm. You know? And I feel like the manager was super sketchy. I feel like the she timing so of the sketchy. shows was super sketchy. Just, like, everything. Yeah. Everything. And I'm still not convinced that whoever was involved in Elisa Lamb's murder was not someone that worked at the hotel. You think it was someone who I probably do. worked I there? I do. I kind of do. I mean, it could also be somebody that was staying there. Like, I mean, could have been anybody. But I feel like just... Because we were only introduced to those two. Mm-hmm. And both of them seemed like they were hiding things. Like, I don't do necessarily think either of them killed her, but, like, I do think they maybe knew or were suspicious of something. Yeah. They both did kind of seem like they were hiding stuff. The guy seemed a little bit more genuine. Yeah. But for, like, two seconds just now, I was like, was he hired to play the part? I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but also I don't... I like to believe people are genuine, but also yeah. I, I'm too he, nice sometimes. Yeah. 
he seemed definitely more genuine than she did, but I feel like they both knew things. She was hiding a lot more than he was, oh, yeah. that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, she was the manager. But also, he was the maintenance guy, so he probably saw a lot of shit. So, I don't know. If he was actually the real maintenance guy. I'm also having another case of deja vu a little bit right now, so that's Really? Cool. That's weird. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's kind of it for yeah. this episode slash the coverage of our, Ce- of, of our Cecil Hotel. <laughs> of the Cecil Hotel. Let's not put that into the universe. I don't ever want to own that hotel. No. Alright, well, should be sick by now? I guess so, yeah. Okay. Um, like, subscribe... Comment. Comment. Rate on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify if you're one of our one listener <laughs> on there. Um, yeah, I guess I hope you enjoyed this episode yeah, and stay thanks. tuned for more fun ones coming in the future. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.